Hey, this is Dan Kogan. I'm one of the pastors at Grace Family in Pleasant Hill, Missouri, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today and let you know you matter to us because you matter to God. Enjoy the message. Today's topic isn't uh, necessarily a fun topic, but it's going to be an encouraging message. And it's one that I believe needs to be addressed. So we're going to be looking at some of what we can learn from Scripture about depression and anxiety and even suicidal thoughts. The National Institute of Mental Health reported in 2016 that an estimated 16.2 million adults in the United States that year had at least one major depressive episode. And there were nearly 45,000 suicides in the United States that year. That's nearly double the number of homicides. And yet, if you have ever been there, if you have been in the depths of depression, the irony is that you have felt alone. And maybe that's you today, and if so, my prayer is that you will see two things from God's word today. The first is that you are not alone. And the second is that God is not mad at you. In a moment, we'll be unpacking 1 Kings chapter 19 together, where we'll see the prophet Elijah in a deep state of despair. He even goes so far as to ask God to take his life. So while you turn to 1 Kings 19, allow me to get you up to speed on Elijah's story so far. We get our introduction to Elijah a couple chapters earlier in toward the end of 1 Kings 16, beginning of chapter 17. Ahab has become the new king over Israel, and he is incredibly wicked. The Bible describes Ahab as more wicked than all the kings before him. And there were some bad ones. And so Elijah comes to Ahab and tells him, there will be no rain in Israel unless I give the word. For years. And then God tells Elijah, bro, you better go hide. Because Ahab's hot. So God has Elijah hide out for the next three years. He first sends him to the Kirith Valley, where God miraculously provides for him. In spite of the drought, he receives water through the stream. And in spite of everything that nature would tell us otherwise, God has commanded ravens to bring him food. And then eventually when the the creek dries, God commands Elijah to move on to Zarephath, where there is a widow. And God says, I've commanded this widow to feed you. Well, all Elijah has to go on is God's track record of faithfulness. So he picks up and moves and goes to Zarephath where this widow is, and he finds her, and he says, God tells me that he commanded you to provide for me. And she says, yes, but I only have a little bit of oil and a handful of flour, and I was going to make our last meal, and we were just going to die. And Elijah, in typical Elijah fashion, says... Why don't you go make a cake for me instead? (laughs) How would you take that if you were this widow? I want my last meal, Elijah. 
But he says, go make me a cake. God will be faithful. He will provide for you. So she obeys. And she goes and makes a cake. And for the next several years, God continues to fill her oil jar and her flower pot. And the Bible says that she and her household ate for many days. Not long after that, this widow's son becomes sick and dies. And that would be heartbreaking in our culture today, wouldn't it? But even more so in this ancient Near Eastern culture, this woman had no means of supporting herself. She couldn't go out and get a job at Walmart. Her son was her sole means of provision, and he is now dead. She understandably goes to Elijah and says, is this your fault? Did you do this to us? Because once you came, my son got sick and died. And Elijah empathizes with her. And he carries the boy upstairs and he prays until God raises the boy back to life. How many we know we serve a resurrecting God? Amen. So this now sets the stage for Elijah to go back to King Ahab and confront him. And he comes back to Ahab and he says, it's been dry for three years in Israel. And Ahab says, you troubler of Israel. Ever heard of shooting the messenger? That's what Ahab decides to try to do. He wants to shoot the messenger. And Elijah says, Ahab, let me remind you, you of all the kings Israel has ever had are the most wicked. And you have drawn God's people away from the worship of the one true God. And you have led them to worship Baal and Asherah. And you blame me when the true God of Israel, when Yahweh removes his hand of blessing from Israel. You blame me? This is on you, Ahab. And so Elijah challenges Ahab and he says, I want you to gather your 850 false prophets and I want them to meet me alone at Mount Carmel. Are some of you familiar with what happens at Mount Carmel? Elijah meets there and he says, here's the challenge. We're both going to set up altars. We're both going to have a sacrifice. And the first God to consume their sacrifice in fire is the one true God and we'll worship him. So the Baal and Asherah prophets do this and they spend all day and they cut themselves and they mourn and they wail and they cry out and Elijah mocks them and he says, maybe your God is uh, going to the bathroom. (laughs) If you don't think there's some humor in the Bible, there is. And Elijah says, all right, here's what I'm going to do. You guys have spent all day trying to get your false gods to consume your sacrifice. I'm going to completely drench my altar in water. I'm going to completely drench the sacrifice in water. And I'm going to stand back and I'm going to say, God, if you are real and I know you are, consume this sacrifice. <laughs> Immediately consumes the sacrifice. And Elijah, this is where it moves a little bit beyond Sunday school slaughters by the sword 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. So this is where we pick up in 1 Kings 19. Read with me on the screen or in your Bibles. Ahab told Jezebel, that's his wife, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword 
Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and there left his servant. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, to the Mount of God. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Help us find your light in our darkness. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Help me to speak clearly. I ask that you would go before my words and prepare our hearts to hear what you would have to say to us today for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the title of our message today is Depression, The Journey is Too Great. Perhaps you're here today and you felt like the journey was too great for you. This word is for you. Maybe you've wrestled with thoughts of taking your own life this year. Maybe even this week. Maybe even this morning. This word is for you today. I want to show you a few things from God's word this morning. The first is that depression isolates us. There's an old saying that misery loves company. But in my experience, we tend to leave the comfort of community when we are suffering with depression. It may be true for some that misery loves company, but one of the attacks of the enemy tends to be that he tries to get us isolated. This is what happened with Elijah. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. It says, Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, And left his servant there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. I am not saying there's never a time for solitude. But when we are in the throes of depression, that is not the time to isolate ourselves, brothers and sisters. I don't know if you've ever spent any time looking at the maps in the back of your Bible. I didn't used to. But they have proven actually very interesting. And this is a great example because as I was studying this passage, I realized that, that Elijah travels from Jezreel in the north of Israel to Beersheba in the south. Do you know how long that walk was? 120 miles. How scared was he to travel on foot 120 miles south? The average person walking that distance, it would take about six days. That's like walking from here to Joplin. 
Has anyone here ever felt so despondent, so anxious that you felt alone? And often that sense of aloneness causes us to push away even those relationships that we do have. The enemy loves to creep in and make us feel like we're the only ones who have ever fought this battle. And he'll try to get us to separate ourselves from this community when we're in that season. If you're here and you are depressed today, you're in the right place. Not because we've got it all figured out. We don't. Not because we know all the answers, but because we know the one who does have the answer. And that is Jesus Christ alone. So often when one of us is under attack, the very first thing to go from our schedule is this. So listen, I'm not preaching a legalistic message that says, if you don't come to church, God loves you any less. And I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel that says, if you come to church, God owes you something because he doesn't. What I am saying is that when there's a lion coming after you, don't let him get you away from the herd to make you an easier target. Hear me. Don't let him get you away from the herd. When I scan the room on Sundays and I see some of your faces absent, if you get a text from me, it's not because I'm worried about not getting your tithe and offering that week, but because I love you and I care about you and I want to make sure you're okay. That's not my job as a pastor. That's my job as your brother in Christ. And that makes it your job too. When you come, don't come just as a consumer. Come as a contributor. And look around the room You won't know everyone who's here. You won't notice everyone who's gone, and that's okay. But if we can combine our arms and say, we're going to look out for one another, and we're going to make sure that if somebody's missing for a week or two or three, we're going to check in on you, and we're going to make sure you're okay, and we're going to pray for you. God tells us in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. Because we're created in the image of God. God has always existed as he is, he is never changing. He has always existed in perfect communion within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we're not a trinity. So if we are created in the image of God, how do we reflect this aspect of his nature? By being in community with one another. Amen? Some of you might not know this about me, and you might be interested to discover that I am very introverted. You, you might look at me and say, like somebody that's up there walking around talking to a room of 120 people, there's no way you're an introvert. I guarantee you I am, and here's how I know it. I spend the morning milling around talking to you, and I love it, and I preach or lead worship, and then I spend another hour after that milling around talking to you, and I, trust me, I, I love it, but it is exhausting to me. That's not an insult to you. That's my, that's my nature because I'm an introvert. You know how I get energized? A night at home alone reading a book or watching a scary movie. That's, I'm getting real with you guys here. I watch scary movies. That's how I get energized is alone time. 
But I love my family and I love you guys and I love being with you because if all I did was hole up in my house and read or watch movies, it might make my introversion happy, but eventually my soul would shrivel up and die because we have a need for community. So depression isolates us, but God sets us in a family. Amen? The second thing I want to show you is that depression skews our view of reality. Look at somebody and say, depression skews. I know this is a heavy topic. You guys sound heavy when you say that. Depression skews. Listen, when we're under the attack of depression, we isolate ourselves because our perception of reality becomes distorted. Right? Look with me again at 1 Kings 19, the first two verses. It says this, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Now, you've got to understand that Jezebel has a track record of killing God's prophets. This is not an idle threat. She means it. So you might be looking at this and saying, if Jezebel has historically killed God's prophets and she threatens to kill Elijah, God's prophet, he has reason to believe this, doesn't he? He does, but what does he have an even greater reason to believe? God's faithfulness. It's uncharacteristic for Elijah to flee for his life like this because as we alluded to earlier, he doesn't move unless God says so. He's there, he's content, and God says, go to the Kirith Valley, and he says, okay. And he's there, and he just receives food from ravens, as weird as that might seem, and he drinks from the stream, and then he's content, and God says, okay, now move to Zareth. And he goes, okay, I'll go to Zareth. This is the pattern in Elijah's life, is he only goes where God tells him to go. He obeys quickly, he obeys faithfully. But here, when Jezebel threatens his life, God does not tell him to go. And he goes. It's all too easy for me to stand here and tell you how wrong it was and how bad it was for Elijah to flee in the fear of man rather than the fear of God. But we do it all the time, don't we? I've operated in the fear of man even this week. At least once that I know of and probably countless other times I'm unaware of. So don't hear this point as a condemnation but as a gentle reminder That what comes naturally to us is often in contradiction to what God has shown us about himself. In other words, often reality is contrary to our perception. So this is what Elijah is experiencing in these verses. What he knows about God from experiences that he's faithful, that he's powerful. But what he feels in this season is that even though God just defeated the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah yesterday, today Jezebel seems more powerful. Can anyone here relate to this? You know that God is faithful and powerful. But it feels like even though he defeated sin, death, and the hell yesterday at the cross, today depression feels more powerful. Believe it or not, you're in good company, and I think that's exactly why Scripture includes accounts like this one. If all we saw in scripture were the moments where people look great, 
we would constantly beat ourselves up because we'd be comparing ourselves with an unrealistic and unachievable standard. I want you to see that this is a major difference between media and God's word. See, I think that one of the contributing factors to the epidemic levels of depression in the United States today is social media. God's word shows us men like Elijah in moments of victory as well as moments of deepest despair. Instagram only shows us how great a time Betty's family's having in Boca Raton. Betty. God's word shows us someone like David who rose to become king of Israel but who also sinned horribly by sleeping with Bathsheba who was married to another man and had her husband intentionally killed in battle. All Instagram knows how to show us is how big Justin's biceps are. And they are. I'm jealous. Justin's not even here to hear that joke, so. Whether you use social media or not, I believe that it is at the epidemic level it is because we are constantly comparing ourselves to an airbrushed version of somebody else. We're com- I heard somebody say this last week. We're comparing our worst moments to someone else's highlight reel. It's not sustainable. Depression skews our view of reality, but God's word helps us to remember and see his faithfulness. Amen? The third thing I want to show you from this passage is that depression starves us. It tries to starve us anyway. But I want you to see in verses 4 through 8 of our text the gracious way the angel of the Lord responds to Elijah. Look with me. 1 Kings 19, beginning in verse 4. Elijah himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Several years ago, I heard a really bad sermon on this chapter. Has anyone here ever heard a bad sermon? It's okay, you can raise your hand. Wyatt's looking at me like, I heard a bad sermon last week, and I'm hearing another one right now. (laughs) I heard this really bad sermon on this chapter, where, and the the pastor was a friend of mine, and he skipped the the first eight verses. And he picked up in verse 9. Now listen, I love verse 9. There's nothing wrong with verse 9. But verse 9, separated from verse 1 through 8, can be a very condemning message. And the message that was preached was that God came to Elijah in the wilderness and he goes, what are you doing here, you idiot? Get up and get back at it. Buck up, bucko. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But when you read verses 1 through 8, you see that that's not where he starts. In fact, when you read 1 through 8 before you read 9 and following, you understand that God sends a messenger in, in peace and in love 
in grace, in mercy, to lift him up and say, arise and eat. This journey is too great for you. So then when God does come to Elijah and he says, get back at it, it's not the voice of a commanding master. It's the voice of a loving father. Amen. First of all, verses 1 through 8 shows us that God cares about our physical well-being. When Elijah despairs of life itself and he asks God to take his life, the angel doesn't say, if you were just a more spiritual person, if you were just better about the spiritual disciplines, if you just read the Bible more faithfully, if you just trusted God more, none of this would have happened. No, he doesn't say that. Instead, the angel comes to Elijah in his darkest season and says, you know what you need? You need a cake, sweetheart, and a nap. (laughs) Does that sound too practical for you? It entails much more than the practicals, but it is certainly no less than physical nourishment because God cares about our physical well-being because he created us spirit, mind, and body. The flesh is not in itself wicked, God created it. It is good and it is being restored. Amen? Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What are these things that he's talking about? He's talking about food and clothing and shelter. Because God cares about our physical well-being. And we should too. When you're in a season of depression... And maybe that's you this morning. Let this remind you to rest. Very practically. To rest and eat well. And stay hydrated. Right? Listen, I want you to hear this morning, if you're battling depression today, you may need medication. And that's okay. There's no shame in that. I grew up in a movement in the church called the Word of Faith Movement. And it taught that if, if you said, I think I'm getting a cold, you'd get a cold. Because words have power. Listen, I'm here to tell you that that's, that's garbage. That movement also led to, I watched not just one, but two friends, parents, die from cancer. Because they were unwilling to receive any treatment. Because they thought it showed a lack of faith. And depression, brothers and sisters, is every bit as real as cancer. And I don't want to see any of you lose this fight with depression because you have some notion in your mind that if you take medication, you have less faith. If you have cancer, I'm going to pray for you and encourage you to listen to your oncologist. If you have a cold, I'm going to pray for you and tell you you probably need to up your vitamin C intake. And if you're depressed, I'm going to pray for you and encourage you to talk to your doctor about the the possibility of needing medication. That's okay. There's no shame. It's not a lack of faith to depend upon the means that God has given. Right? Second, I want you to notice where the angel places this nourishment. Look with me at verse 6. He looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake. It's so easy to read over these passages and you just go, okay, there was a cake at his head. (laughs) But why would the Holy Spirit inspire writing down the specific location? of? I think it's because this conveys something to us. Throughout Scripture, we see that God is the head of his people. 
Who is the head of our church? It's not me. It's not even all the elders combined, right? Christ is our head. He is our chief shepherd. He is our senior pastor. I, however, am part of the body along with you. And so often we come in a season like this and we recognize intellectually that I need a word. And you come to receive a word, not from God, but from me or Pastor Mark or one of our elders. Brothers and sisters, if we are not merely acting as a mouthpiece for God and you receive a word from us, if you receive my opinion, it's not going to do you any good. In fact, it will probably lead to more harm than good if you just come get my opinion. My opinion doesn't matter one lick. Instead, when you come, come to receive a word from the head. And throughout Scripture, Christ is shown as our head, and throughout Scripture, God's word is shown as our food. So that's what I want to point us to third is, get this, Angel food cake apparently gives energy for 40 days. I mean, I like angel food cake, but I've never eaten it and not had to eat the next day or even maybe an hour later. (laughs) Look at this. It says in verses 7 through 8, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he went in the strength of that food for 40 days. Think about this for a moment. The food that we get for ourselves can only sustain us for so long. The Word of God gives eternal life. And that's what is being alluded to by the fact that Elijah was given energy for 40 days and 40 nights by one meal. Because this is really what I want you to see. God's Word is our nourishment. And just as you need to eat every day, we need to be hungry for the Word of God every day. Amen. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, be sure to subscribe to our show so the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready whenever you are. And secondly, if Grace Family has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description and make a donation now. And we'll see you next time on the Grace Family Podcast.